Warning. The following broadcast is not approved by your teacher, university, politician, or government. Side effects may include skepticism, better reasoning skills, liberty, peace, and an escape from the woke. Welcome to the show. I am your host, L.B. Muniz, and this is the Pin Awake Podcast for Better Sense Making. If you're within the sound of my voice, head on over to binawake.com and subscribe with your email address. This isn't just the podcast for better sense making. This is the podcast where we talk about news, philosophy, and mindset. Well, at least a little bit of news. Not going to lie, I spent uh, most of yesterday playing with OBS, which I'm sure for a lot of people, you know, makes me... It's, it's like, oh yeah, you, you didn't play with that? Any, I've never used it before. So I've got all sorts of fun things set up to, uh, I don't know. I guess I really enjoy the video production element of this. So if you do listen to the audio only, keep that in mind. I do release videos of these shows as well, especially if when we're covering video content. I think it's really, really helpful. And you know, even so, there's something, there's just something I enjoy about watching a video podcast myself. So I hope other people do as well. Other than that, we've got some fun stories to get into today, so I don't want to waste too, too much time. The title of uh, the title of today's episode, oops, well, that was supposed to be my count-in. See what I mean? I was, I was, I, I, it, there's, there's a tendency that I have to maybe even overproduce sometimes. The title of today's episode, we've already made it to 77 episodes, which is kind of crazy if I, when, I, when I stop to think about it. But the title of today's episode is A World Without Orgies. Why do I want, why, why, do I want, uh, why do I want the title of today's episode to be A World Without Orgies? Because I think it's going to make people listen and pay attention. And of course, that's a little bit of a teaser to uh, the last story that we're going to talk about, which was a, a clip that went kind of viral from, uh, from cable news, because that still exists. So A World Without Orgies is today's title. We've got a few stories to go through, and the first story that we're going to cover today is why they hate Lana Del Rey's new boyfriend. Why? Well, in part because this was actually sent to me um, this was sent to me by somebody. Somebody sent me this story. It wasn't something that came that I came across naturally. And there was a few things inside of it that was that I found to be interesting and I think are actually is actually worth our time to discuss and explore a little bit as it relates to the um, as it relates to modern culture and also as it relates to how you're supposed to perceive the world, right? Because that is one of the reasons. One of the reasons I think why media exists and why I call this project about sense making is because that's, I think, what we try to do with the news, with stories, right? We're trying to make sense of the world. We're trying to understand reality as it exists around us. So one thing that's useful when we're talking about stories like this is what's the one thing that's useful about there's a few things that's useful about me starting with a story like this considering normally we cover um you know we cover like national politics and media critiques and stuff one is that from what i understand the first 15 minutes are critical for your streams uh you know for, for 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 your subscribers to actually see the things that you're getting into that you're doing um 
And, you know, that's where YouTube a lot of times is going to look for content to see if you're approved under their algorithm, blah, 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 blah. So starting with a story like that is starting with a story like this is a little helpful from that perspective. And then it's also helpful because squishy puff pieces about celebrities tell it can tell us more, I think, about the subtleties of human nature, media manip- manipulation and cultural trends than one might imagine. So while I would probably i would in many respects i would consider a story like this kind of trashy and i think other people would as well there are a few things about it that stuck out to me chief among them had probably something to do with the fact that this dealt with um you know apparently lana del rey's new boyfriend who cares is he's a midwestern guy and it looks like he's from illinois so for nothing else that's probably one of the reasons why this story caught my attention right is that you know is it was was when you look at the um when you look at the picture that they used, which, which is now taken down from Instagram, by the way, but when you look at the picture, he's wearing a university of Illinois t-shirt. And as you kind of scroll through and as you know, I did a little bit of research into this guy. He, anyway, he, he's probably from the same area as me. So that's probably one of the reasons why this story stuck out to me as well. So chief among the thing, chief among how this was, how the story was perceived and, and brought about is that is that it deals with the Midwestern aesthetic and how they spin the story to, cl- to fit closely among along the lines wow i can't even read my own writing sometimes how they spin the story to fit closely along the modern left-wing cultural signals that you're that you know good people are supposed to be paying attention to so that's that's why we're actually going to talk about a story like this so it so the headline right so we'll start with the headline because of course that's the most that's always one of the most important th- important parts the headline says Lana Del Rey's perfectly ambiguous new boyfriend is extremely on brand. So she starts her article by saying that Lana Del Rey is never not on brand. Um, Any accusation otherwise only reveals the extent to which she successfully curated an elusive persona begging for misinterpretation. All of her perceived misses in the public eye over the last few years, dressing like she only shops at TJ Maxx, the old-timey souvenir-style album cover for Chemtrails over the country club, even dating a cop, have all perfectly aligned with the core reality of who she is, the romantic poet equivalent of the girl you went to high school with who never left your hometown. Her Her latest boyfriend, Jack Donahue, according to the author of this piece, only extends, uh, only extends this narrative further. So it goes on to give a little bit of history about this guy, this guy Donahue, which is the who's part of some house group, right? So this is this this story is a fluff piece, right? We're going to get into the house group that he's apparently a part of. What I wanted to do a little bit was analyze the structure of this article, and I want I wanted to pay particular attention as we kind of read through what this author is trying to get across vis-a-vis cultural preference there's there's a remarkable difference what's what's interesting is the difference between the front half what you learn about somebody in the front half of this piece versus what you learn about the players involved in the back half of this piece and that's one of the reasons why it stuck out to me um so they go on to talk about this this guy and you know he posted he posted this picture on instagram and blah 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 blah. again i know we're kind of dealing with celebrity news let's get into the meat of it so when the po- when the photo hit twitter lana fans were immediately split many of those familiar with donahue felt they were an ideal match while other others who who assumedly weren't aware of him accused him of looking like a january 6th participant so now you can understand why the story is piquing my interest a little bit more so if we go and we look at the dude 
He's just a very, un, he, he, he's just a normal looking guy, right? He's a normal looking guy wearing a t-shirt and apparently he's part of some witch house duo. We're going to get to that. So he's just a normal looking dude. And of course, that's enough for this author to say that some people said he looked like January 6th. Well, what's interesting about the story is that she had that hyperlinked here, which means we can click through and we can see. And it's this tweet that has seven likes that was tweeted on July 12th, 2022 at 8.02 p.m. And it says, where was Lana Del Rey's BF on January 6th? Kind of a funny joke. I get it. You know, I, I understand why. But what was interesting about this person is that uh, you know, this, so this is what I do when I'm like looking into a story is I then look to see that the person behind the tweet, right? And so by all accounts, this, this account was created in June, 2022 has about 300 followers each way, pretty much even. So this to me reeks of some kind of sock account or some kind of auto generated, you know, maybe one of those fake accounts that Elon Musk was, um, was realizing Twitter is actually full of. Now, if this is a real person, I'm sorry to you, hope prayer, but you know, just kind of looking at it, they kind of generally tweet about celebrity things and that's about it. So this was one and it was January 6th. That's, but what I thought was interesting was that was enough for this person to use when writing the article as a source. So as long as this one count set of 300 people, now we can introduce this into the, um, into the sense making of the story of this, of this singer's new boyfriend who, who looks, who allegedly, allegedly looks like a normal guy. In reality, with his Illinois t-shirt, this is reading from the piece, with his Illinois t-shirt and carpenter jeans, he looks like any salt-of-the-earth Midwestern white man in his early 30s, while the idea of a beautiful woman dating just some guy has become an obnoxious trope. This is ultimately what Donahue looks like, just some guy, albeit a hot and large one. So what is that? So so he's just a good-looking dude. Right, that's that's another way you could you could have written that. But here's where here's where so here's where the story then tw- trends or, or, or twists at least for me. Now remember, his per- her perfectly ambiguous new boyfriend is extremely on brand, and now we're going to learn why. The back half of this piece, Donna is is talking about Donahue and his history. The Donahue has his own history behind him. Among which house listeners, he's something of a legend. Now, you might be asking yourself, LB, what the heck is Witch House? Now, Witch House is apparently, this is something I learned, is a subhouse genre of electronic music characterized by dark occult themes and visual aesthetics that emerged in the late 2000s and early 2010s. The music is heavily, heavily influenced by the chopped and screwed style of hip-hop, as well as industrial noise and dream pop. Which house makes use of synthesizers, drum machines, obscure samples. So like, so this dude is some, this dude who's apparently just some normal guy, even though he's like, you know, Mar- he's, he's objectively an attractive person. This dude is actually an artist. Oh, well, that only would kind of make sense then, wouldn't it? Now, <clears throat> I did do a little bit of digging because I was curious. And so I found this guy's uh, music and it is uh, personally can't get into it i'm actually somebody who likes ambient music i listen to ambient music a lot when i'm traveling on a plane or and i'm trying to read or even just around the house if i'm trying to read and i love so i i enjoy i enjoy music that's just meant to like fill up dead air but this witch house stuff was in which it was very similar to ambient music anyway it was like it was really really weird 
Uh, but that's kind of to the point of where this story is, how this story's twists and turns. They go on to talk about how, you know, you might think that you might think that someone like Lana Del Rey is supposed to date some like European billionaire. But isn't it kind of nice that da 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 da? I don't know. I'm, this is I'm running out a little bit of steam. Then she goes, so she goes on to accuse him of just some guy. I'm looking back at my show notes page. She, they say later in the piece that he looks like someone who might have been involved in the insurrection to the extent that those who actually participated look like, look much like the rest of the country. When in reality, again, this guy is, but this guy is actually part of the celebrity class. He's, you know, I, I just talked about his witch house genre music. And this is what they go on to say about him. Several photos of him. He previously dated. He's something of a legend in his in his subgenre. And he previously dated Courtney Love. Several photos of him making out with men, one of whom may be his cousin, as well as him touching tongues with a dog, just sit casually on his Instagram alongside a few gun pics and candidates with Julia Fox. For all intents and purposes, he is not at all just some guy but the exact type of scene embedded alternative weirdo we'd expect from an artist like Lana to be with. This was basically where I wanted to get us with this story is, Oh no, you might. So it's, so it's, 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 it's reinforcing the cultural aesthetic that you're supposed to pay attention to. And that was the thing about this story that struck out to me is they take a look and they say, Oh, you might think that this looks like just some normal American, just some normal dude. But really, don't you see, he's made out with his cousin and a dog, and he does weird music. And so, see, he's precisely the type of weirdo you should want your favorite celebrity to, uh, to be dating. So you, why, it could be because he's an edgy artist as well. So this, made, this got me to thinking. This, got, this, this article got me thinking because I always enjoy stories that deal with the philosophy, what, you know, like the philosophy of fashion or just... You know, fashion in general, how people dress, why the, well, yeah, how people dress and what that communicates to the broader world, to the world around us, right? I think, I think what we, how we choose to dress and also what we choose not to wear in many cases, as the case may be, is, 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 are equally signals. And they're signals about something about us, something about the world around us. And the tension therein is something I find interesting. The other thing I find, and the other thing you might, and so right now we have this athleisure trend going on in, um, in, the, higher, in the higher society, in, in higher celebrity circles, right? Everybody basically just kind of wears spandex, and that's, that's like the trendy thing to do. Um, what's interesting about that in particular, though, is how then a general Midwestern aesthetic, which again, a Midwestern aesthetic, I'm using that term because there is something to this part of the country where you don't care too, too much about the clothes you wear. There's exceptions to that in different, in different industries and in different cities. But in general, this was something I noticed, what I, what my, and certainly my family noticed when we moved here when I was young, was just how was there was a different level of comfort, you might say, that people in the Midwest were uh, willing to show in their outward dress, going to the grocery store, going out on a Sunday, even going to church, as the case may be. Um, I can remember many a time when, you know, being it pointed out that people were showing up to church in their pajamas growing up. So it's just, so it just kind of has a different vibe than other areas of the country. And I think part of that has to do with the weather, 
right? I think the, one of the reasons why in LA or in my, in a place like Miami, you see a lot of vibrant colors and people put a lot of thought and care into the clothes they wear has a lot to do with what the weather allows for. Whereas in the Midwest, you know, you kind of got to figure out what's going to fit underneath your, your heavy winter coat. And is it something that can last you in the winter? Or are you only going to be doing things in the summer? You understand? So there's, there's different choices one kind of makes in, in, in different, uh, in different parts of the country. So while e- so what's interesting is even though this guy could be said to be participating in the more casual modern aesthetic, he does so in such a way that sticks out to people that, that to them at least signals to the uninitiated that this guy isn't part of the celebrity class. One thing is one and, and, and coupled with that is just the way that we, or not we particularly as in, in that you and I who, who pay attention to these things, but there is a class of people who pay attention to celebrity status. And I think it's a perfect example of how humans operate. We tend to, even though, even though America was supposed to be a country without, not without elites, but without royalty, we still kind of created our own royalty in the end, didn't we? With this, with the celebrity class or, but perhaps better said that this class was created for us. And that's, you know, you, you could, I, I don't think that would be an incorrect way of looking at it either. But suffice it to say, people will follow when you put these people above them, right? So, so they look, they're going to look at someone like, like Lana Del Rey and say, oh, well, I guess if she's going to date a normal guy, then I guess I can date just a normal whatever dude who's got a couple gun pics on his Instagram. And it's like, oh, hang on, hang on. This was the interesting thing about the piece to me, right? Is that the piece goes like, well, hang on, hang on, dude. It's actually, he's actually not just a normal guy because he made out with his cousin and a dog. And, you know, he's so he's done, he's done things that allow for the modern leftist cultural aesthetic. And while the original story here is on MSN.com, MicrosoftNews.com, there is um, the original source is Mel Magazine. And Mel, I had never heard of Mel before this. Um, and they said that, and like one of their top stories is, and so apparently they're a men's magazine, right? So that's what Mel is. Mel is a men's magazine. And they say on their about page, there is no playbook for how to be a guy, which is just kind of ridiculous on the face of it. My, my opinion, I suppose you could say. You could, you could preface by saying it's my opinion, but that's the point of the show, isn't it? So... This guy, so so Mel Magazine is a is a men's magazine. It's a men's magazine about culture, and culture we understand is about the rituals and practices of a given group of people. That culture can exist at the level of a civilization. It can exist within. It can exist within a subgroup. It can exist within a gender, a, a sex of of, of of people. There are many different many different levels at which cult, culture operates, right? You understand. There's many different levels at, cult, at which culture operates. However. Culture, in that it is manifested in the world, has to do with the rituals and practices. It's the things that you do with the people that you care about, if you will. So this is a men's magazine that's supposed to be dealing with men's cultural issues. That's what they go on to say. But they begin by saying that there's no playbook to be a guy. Now, one thing that stuck out about one thing that stuck out to me about this in particular is this fact of. Uh, is this fact of, is this choice of the word playbook? Because this word playbook is, a playbook is like something you have in football or another sport where you have a list of your plays that you're going to run against the other team. And so as long as, and everybody has to memorize those plays, so that way all you have to do is say, 
we're going to run such and such a play. And then everybody knows what their job is. So, so it's, so it's the rules for the game, if you will, or it's the rules. It's the, it's the tactics of the team within the rules of the game. Well, the men's magazine dealing with culture is kind of by definition, a playbook. So these, but these guys start out by saying there is no playbook for being a guy. So they're going to, so effectively they're going to write one. So at Mel, they go on to say, we're trying to figure out how to live without one. A lifestyle and cultural magazine. We culture, we cover sex, relationships, health, money, work, and culture from a male point of view, even though we're not all male and certainly aren't entirely sure what male should mean anymore. We tell stories that no one else is telling, share perspectives that no one else is considering, and illuminate people that no one else would even think to seek out. We also talk about dicks a lot. Thanks for reading. We're trying our best. So that's what this apparent that's what this apparent Mel magazine is about. And it's kind of and and to me, again, it just very well encapsulates at every single stage of this we see. We see at the foundation of the piece. We see of the institution that the piece was originally written for. We see it at the level of the story as it was presented by the piece. We see the fact that it was picked up by a by a broader um by a by a broader uh, site like MSN. I'm trying sorry, I was just trying to think of how to classify Microsoft News because it's just kind of one of these like it's one of these like legacy legacy news pages that a lot of people just use as their homepage, which is why which is part of the reason why I think a story like this would get shared with it, right? Because they want more exposure. For all of these levels, we see reinforced the modern leftist aesthetic, which says that there are no rules to being a guy or a girl or a person or who you date. But then, so, but then don't you see, they start by saying there are no rules and then they follow up by saying, it's okay, you can like this person for these reasons, whereby they set out rules. We understand that the hypocrisy is part of the game. What I'm doing here is demonstrating how it operates at the at these levels with um with with a story like this and we can use and we can analyze pieces like this to understand politics better again specifically this celebrity aspect of things which which has become which I think I don't think anybody would deny has become a more prominent feature of modern politics modern politicians, right? We can think of somebody like AOC. Somebody like AOC uses celebrity to her advantage. It's a different it's a different kind of generation. So, for those few reasons, that's one of the reasons that's why I want to uh, to talk about this story. Why do they hate Lana Del Rey's new beau? But our second story for today is about Joe Biden, our illustrious president who stopped inflation. I don't know if you knew this, but Joe Biden is working very, very hard to stop inflation. <laughs> so let's get into it, shall we? We'll shift gears. And so we're going to analyze, re- in this segment, we're going to analyze recent developments in the Biden administration and how none of it will help with the inflationary times we live in, no matter what they name the bill. You see, we'll spend a little time looking at the two videos released by the Biden administration recently that shows just how just the disparity that exists between this president's ability to perform. Right. This president's ability to give a speech, which is kind of at which is kind of at the center of somebody who is the head of state. Right. They're they're the person who's in charge of the pomp and the circumstance. And that's something that the president embodies. So if you're not aware of everything that's going on, 
the go- the government has been trying to pass this Build Back Better bill for a number of months at this point. And key and, and chief among this bill, right, is, is like billions of dollars of spending. It basically is like the Green New Deal. It's everything. Basically, it's everything that the left and it's everything that the Democrats have been asking for put together in a bill and they called the build back better and it was and build back better is tied to some deeper creepier stuff if you want to get into it at a different point maybe we can but he but so and now we have this new bill and but there was this guy joe manchin joe manchin who's the senator from west virginia joe manchin said well we don't i don't think this is i don't think i think this is too much so now there's this new bill that they're going to have that they're going to use to stop in, and they've just called it the Stop Inflation Act. And Manchin is apparently okay with it. So now they're trying to now they're trying to push this through. This is all within the context of the midterms. Of course, you know, it's it's generally considered important that a president has some kind of legislative win and that the party in power, namely the Democrats, has some kind of legislative win by which they can uh, they can campaign on. And this is this is again, this is something that they've been trying to do basically since the beginning of Joe Biden's presidency. I don't think I don't think it's unfair to say that. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about Joe Biden. We're going to watch we got 55 seconds. The second clip is and then the second clip is uh is 16 seconds. And then we're going to watch another one that kind of puts them through together. And the reason why I want to show these is because of the different is because, well, it's because of the third one. You're going to see why the third one we show is, uh, is so interesting. So let's watch. Folks, as we fight inflation, bringing down gas prices is a big part of the job. And here's the good news. Gas prices have dropped every day this summer. That's more than 40 days in a row. we now have 40,000 gas stations in the United States where the price of gas is $3.99 or less. How do we get the price down? Well, a new report today shows that our plan to take oil out of storage, put it on the market, played a big part. Plus, I'm pressing the oil industry to pump more oil here in the United States. And as the global cost of oil drops, pass the savings on to the consumers. But we have a lot more to do. We're working with the oil and gas industry to get production up and prices down even as we stay focused on transitioning to a clean energy economy. And I promise you, I'll continue to do everything I can to bring down gas prices. Folks, as we fight inflation, bringing down gas... So that's, so you notice they used a couple of shots in that. And of course, there's a couple of parts that were particularly funny. So there's the part where he says, well, the new report today that shows our plan to take oil out of storage, put it on the market, played a big part played a big part in lowering gas prices. Well, what's funny about that, if you didn't pay attention to the story, those are America's strategic oil reserves, and those oil reserves got sold to China. It got sold to a company that his son, Hunter Biden, was connected to. That's, that's a fact, as far as I understand it. But we have this, right? And we have this nice shot with soft lighting, and he did a really good job of delivering the speech, where he's talking about how it played a big part, and how, and now he's encouraging domestic Oil production. Again, we understand here that the hypocrisy is part of the strategy. So it doesn't matter that Joe Biden on the campaign trail said that he wants to stop domestic oil production. What matters is that now that, that, now that it's become a problem, he's going to have the oil and gas manufacturers pump more. 
Now here's the second video. Has a little bit different of a vibe. Man. Um, a little bit different of a vibe on this one. And this one actually was originally released by the Democrats. So we're gonna so now we're gonna go ahead and watch that. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-cop. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-democracy. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-American. Donald Trump lacked the courage to act. The brave women and men in blue all across this nation should never forget that. Ooh, spooky. So, so this was another one that came out recently. Came out on the, I'm sorry, came out on the same day. These were both released. I have it in my notes here. These are both released on July 26th. So these were both released on July 26th in a couple hours of each other. And so a user on Twitter who goes by the handle five times August put together this compilation that I want to watch together here. Up, Bringing down... Folks, as we fight inflation, you can't be pro-insurrection and pro-cop. Bringing down gas prices is a big part of the job. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-democracy. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-American. And here's the good news. Gas prices have dropped every day this summer. That's more than 40 days in a row. Donald Trump lacked the courage to act. We now have 40,000 gas stations in the United States where the price of gas is $3.99 And as you're watching, and so if you're listening to this, the you can hear the difference in the tone. All across this nation should never forget that. How do we get the price down? Well, a new report today shows that... Our so if you were just listening to that, you could hear the difference in, in his voice. But when you watch it, there is a stark difference between the two scenes, right? In one, it's the lighting is really, really good. They have multiple angles. They have multiple shots going. In the second one, it's all on him. And of course, you can hear he's like, well, he goes, you know, you can't be pro-insurrection and pro-cop. So I'd like to share with you. I'd like to share with you an insight that I kind of realized about Joe Biden during the 2020 presidential campaign. Even then, I do think it's become far. I do think evidence of his cognitive decline is 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 apparent to anybody who wants to pay attention. I'm not going to go and go so far as to offer a diagnosis. Why? Because, hey, you know, we might as well be a little bit responsible with with our rhetoric at times. In other capacities, I might I might go farther. But for the purposes of our conversation right now, we'll just say it's clear that he's old. And one thing that happened during the presidential debates of 2020 was based as was a lot of people, myself included, especially during the first one, were waiting for Joe Biden to slip up. They were waiting for him to fall to, to basically fall apart in the middle of one of these debates. Now, there's a lot of speculation out there, and I think, in fact, some of it might even be confirmed by some some sources but there's a lot of speculation that especially at the higher levels when people go on stage and and perform and let's say like a presidential debate that they might be on some kind of stimulant right some kind of stimulant to help them keep focus now you might say oh my gosh that's so awful blah 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 but like let's think let's just think practically for a second if you're somebody who's constantly giving speeches every single day and part of your job is to be on something like Adderall helps, right? Something like, like a stimulant prescription actually does help you. Even That's one of the reasons why people like nicotine and people like caffeine, myself included, right? Is because it helps keep you sharp. It helps put you on, it helps put you in the proper frame of mind to perform and to say what you're supposed to say. That, so, that, so that's something that they've talked about for Republicans and Democrats, by the way. I don't th and frankly, when you consider the age of these people, it kind of makes sense. 
But there was something I noticed. There was something I noticed and I talked about on the show back then. But of course, we have a few, we have a number of new listeners since then. And thank you very much for that. Something I noticed back then, and this was when I realized that, oh, that Joe Biden wasn't going to fall apart on the campaign trail the way a lot of people thought he might, is because I realized something. I realized as I sat there and I watched Joe Biden is the man's been memorizing speeches his entire life. It's, it's perhaps the one thing he can probably still do really, really well. And I think, and, and so, you know, this guy five times August, he says, you know, he's just like, yo, what's going on? These videos were posted onto Twitter within a few hours of each other. What the hell is happening? The ant, like there is a, there are marketed differences right here. I'll show the, I'll, I'll show this picture because it, it's a little bit more beneficial. Again, you can go to YouTube or Rumble to catch the replay of this. It's also on, t- on my Twitter feed as well. But if you, look at, if you look at Joe Biden in one of these pictures versus the other, he does look a little on the crazy side in one. And the one, and the one where he says you can't be pro-insurrection and pro-cop, he seems unhinged. The eyes are different, right? The eyes are much buggier in one versus another. And again, that lighting... Really, really, as you can see, good lighting does make a difference in these sorts of situations. Now, of course, some people have had some fun speculating that the president has been replaced, perhaps by, you know, and perhaps by a clone. You know, show me evidence and I'll take a look at that. I think the far more likely, I think there's two things about these videos that we need to take into account. One, just because they were released within hours of each other does not mean they were filmed within hours of each other. It, it's worth noting as well as we kind of break down and look into this, look into something like this. It's worth noting as well that one was originally posted by the Democrats page and the other was originally posted by the White House. So there's, there's what the Democrats are doing for fundraising methods, but that's, that's actually a separate team than the White House. So maybe the, the DNC team got to use Biden and they didn't do a good job of giving him direction. I can remember quote tweeting these as myself. I think I quote tweeted it by saying like, you know, Joe, you're supposed to be angry and you're just giving me like dead fish eyes. The, this is the pres- This is our current president of the United States, right? I don't know if the, I don't I wouldn't really consider this better than than Donald Trump. But hey, uh, who am I? You understand it? But it was an interesting it was an interesting juxtaposition with these videos being released so close to each other. I thought it was worth our talking about it. Now, this next one that I want to briefly, this next clip deals with his Inflation Reduction Act. And Sometimes this is what he has to say. Even infuriating. Then the hard work of hours and days and months from people who refuse to give up pays off. History is made. Lives are changed. Talking about the democratic this legislation, process. We're facing up to some of our biggest problems we're taking a giant step forward as a nation. The work of the government. So, you know, that's what they have to say for that. So I found a really good piece from Vox. I'll give credit where it's due. That actually talks about um, how, you know, Democrats plan to overhaul taxes, climate spending, and health care before the midterms. Does a really, really good job of getting into the nitty gritty of, of what this legislation proposes. So it opens by saying the latest compromise includes the previously agreed upon healthcare provisions, as well as a 15% corporate minimum tax, a proposal to care, close the carried interest tax loophole. That sucks. And a provision for IRS enforcement. Additionally, it contains historic spending for climate, though it's on a smaller scale than what the house envisioned last year. 
All told, Democrats estimate that the bill will bring $739 billion in revenue and will invest $433 billion in spending. It also addresses Manchin's goal of reducing the deficit and would do so by $300 billion or more. The bill's investment in areas like clean energy, tax credits, and reducing health care costs is notable, though much less ambitious than the provisions in the $1.75 trillion bill that the House passed last year. So here are key provisions that the legislation contains. Taxes sets a new corporate minimum tax of 15%. Although corporations technically have a tax rate of 21%, many use loopholes to pay much less. This bill sets a hard 15% corporate minimum tax rate for companies that are bringing in more than $1 billion in profit each year and is estimated to raise $313 billion in revenue as a result. I'm going to guess that number is false. The IRS enforcement. The U.S., according to this, loses an estimated $1 trillion a year due to fraudulent tax returns and dubious accountings. The legislation would invest millions into the IRS to help the agency track down these funds. That money, along with other spending on the agency, is expected to bring in $124 billion. Closes the carried interest tax loophole. This carried interest loophole enables money managers like hedge fund managers to pay a lower rate on compensation they get from overseeing and investing clients' funds. This bill would close that loophole and require managers to pay a tax rate of up to 37% on that compensation. If implemented, it could bring in $14 billion in revenue and likely stop a lot of the speculation that's keeping the economy going. Sorry, that's my editorializing. Goes on to talk about health care, which is going to allow Medicare to negotiate prescription drug prices. It's going to extend ACA subsidies for three years which apparently were implemented as part of the American Rescue Plan during the pandemic. And then we move on to the climate. It's going to issue clean energy tax credits. There are big investments in a wide range of tax credits, including ones that aim to make homes more energy efficient, incentivize clean energy vehicle purchases, that means electric vehicles for you playing ball at home, and spur the use of clean sources of electricity and energy storage. That means investments in solar and wind, which don't work as well as oil, as, as Europe is discovering right now. Industry and manufacturing. The bill also has significant funding aimed at curbing existing pollution for manufacturing and pushing for the establishment of more manufacturing facilities in the U.S. that help to produce clean energy products like solar panels and electric cars. See, that's this is the direction that they're pushing us. Finally, environmental justice. This is the real socialist crap. Billions of dollars are set aside for grants dedicated specifically to places that have experienced outsized pollution with the, help of, with the goal of helping these areas combat public health risks. Some of these funds are also allocated to tackle the negative impacts of transportation infrastructure and other public projects on communities. So we're not going to fix the bridges. We're just going to give people money. I guess that works. This is supposed to be the Stop Inflation Act that the government is uh, giving to us. It's the Stop Inflation Act. That, that's what we're supposed to believe about this. If you didn't know what is the primary cause of inflation, there's, there's multiple factors that cause inflation, but, there is, but, but when we, un, when we have a complicated analysis, what we do is we look for leading indicators. And a leading indicator in this context is something we can look at with and have a reasonable expectation of something that's going to happen down the road. So for the entire existence of this show, I have been talking about inflation. Why? Because in 2020, the government printed more money than it ever had or digitized or created more currency, more dollars in the computer than ever before through the Federal Reserve. That alone answers for the inflation that we are seeing now. 
But of course, if you weren't now, while Joe Biden is alleging to stop inflation, there's something else that he's saying that he's going to do as well, which is stop the reset, which is which is they're denying the recession. So that brings us to the next story we want to talk about is, are we in a recession right now? And I called this, I called this section Republicans cheer for the recession with a question mark. So depending on who you ask, we're in a recession. I want to spend a little time talking about the political ramifications of the inflationary times we live in and prognosticate on the future of our economy. And I found this piece from CNN that's going to help us do that. Can you believe that? A piece from CNN. So are we in a recession or not? If you're confused about whether the U.S. economy is in a recession, you're not alone. On one hand, gross domestic product, a key measure of economic output, shrank for the second straight quarter, raising fears the country has entered or will soon enter a recession's territory. On the other hand, the job market remains very strong, telling us the economy is still robust. Some economists call two consecutive... So here's... So here's basically the, the, here's the game that was being played within the, the, like the, the popular press narratives. You had the Republicans basically going on and saying, oh my gosh, you know, the Republicans, they're cheering for a recession because it means Joe Biden is a failure. That's why, that's why, I, have this, that's why I have this episode title of kind of questioning why Republicans are happy about this. And I guess some of it was probably just tongue-in-cheek mockery given the lengths to which the Joe Biden administration is trying to not talk about the fact that there has been economic contraction for two straight quarters, which is an acceptable definition for recession. But what makes this piece from CNN interesting is how they walk you, again, setting your expectations, making sense of the world around you, trying to take complex topics and giving you, and giving you actionable, workable items. That's what the news says that they're doing. And that's what a P and so what a piece like this from CNN business is doing is telling you how is, is, is priming you and nudging you in the direction they want. They, you know, the big, they want you to go in regards to how you should perceive the economy. So they go on to say, there's no steadfast rule governing what defines a recession in the United States. Instead, officials, the official designation is determined by eight economists who serve together on the Business Cycle Dating Committee. The group works under the umbrella of the National Bureau of Economic Research, a private nonprofit organization. It has yet to use the recession label. Isn't that interesting? So here again, we also see this unholy alliance between non-governmental organizations and with the government and the media apparatus. This is Last episode, we spent a little bit of time talking about the cathedral, and if you haven't listened to that episode, I'd encourage you to go back and do so. You should probably listen to like the last four episodes if this is your first time. just gives you a good flavor of how this show operates. So this, non, so this non-elected group, grouping of people are the ones who decide whether or not something is a recession, according to CNN Business. They abide by a relatively vague definition that allows for wriggle room. A recession, they write, involves a significant decline in economic activity that is spread across the economy and lasts more than a few months. So basically, the crux of this article goes on to say that the U.S. economy shrinks in the second quarter, then shows another another graph that says unemployment is the lowest in 22 years. Of course, we already know that unemployment statistics are messed up, but hey. Then we go on and we see inflation and rate hikes, and so 10%, probably more of inflation that everybody's dealing with. 
And then we go on and talk about sentiment and spending. And it said Americans are spending more than they were a month ago. And then we talk about yield curves. And so basically they go on to say, is the econ- are we in a recession? It's up to you. Now to the point, to a technical point, like to an actual matter that we can, that we can examine with this, we can understand that there is something strange about the current economic times. And we could kind of predict that given the amount of money that was printed in the economy. So we can kind of understand that, um, well, we can understand that this doesn't look like other recessions. And I, can't, and I believe I even said that on the show. In fact, I know I did. That it's not going to look the way it looked in, in 2012 or in 2008. And it won't look like it did in 2001. It's going to be something different. So what we're seeing is this rampant inflation, but unemployment allegedly is holding pretty stable which is to say people have jobs. It's just increasingly the money that you earn from that job isn't getting you as much as it did before. Of course, none of this is helped by war overseas, interrupting international supply chains, the, increasing, the, increasingly, um, the increasingly corrosive and invasive medical state that's trying to turn everything into a reason for a shutdown. There's a bunch of stuff at play here. But what I thought was interesting, the way at least at least the way I saw this being covered in the corporate press, in the mainstream articles, it was like it was again, it was just always this team sport, which I think is something frustrating to a lot of Americans and and people across the world, is the way we just fall into the team sport on these things. I'm not really happy that the economy has been, even though I understand that it has to happen, it doesn't make me happy that we're headed for rough economic times ahead. And depending on the industry you live in, you might want to be careful. You, you work and you, you're going to have to be careful. Of course, if you listen to the show, you're probably already a valuable person in your, in your organization. So you should just make sure you keep doing that because valuable people don't get fired until, they, until things are so bad that, you know, even in that hypothetical, I think there's, there's plenty of exits. There's, there would be plenty of exits for you to take. But what is an organization like CNN doing? Well, they don't. And why is it so important that why is it so important that we don't talk about things in terms of a recession? Why, Why is that so important? I think part of the reason why that's important is that there is, despite what some despite what some economists, even economists that I would agree with and and would defer to in many other areas, despite what some people want to believe about economics, there is an extrinsic, extrinsic psychological, spiritual component to the markets, which is to say, you can stave off a recession law, especially when we consider, especially when we consider the um, the tools of influence at the disposal of in powerful people, right? This is why we talk about media critique and we look and we examine the story, we examine these sorts of stories. We examine the idea that people follow celebrities because people want to follow leaders. And that's a natural human thing. So there is a psychological and, if you will, a spiritual component to whether or not we are actually in a recession. And which is to say, if CNN came out and if the Biden administration came out and said, this is a recession, I think, you know, that would probably trigger behavior in a lot of people that would actually make things worse than they are. And so that's one of the reasons why you see this. But, but what happens, right? Narrative control. We've talked about narrative control on the show. Where is the steam getting let out? Well, the steam gets let out with the Republicans because the Republicans are the ones cheering for the recession. 
I guess. What's the advice here, by the way? The advice here is the same as it always is. Make sure that you're valuable in the thing that you do. It's really, and make sure you have skills that people, that, that's the mindset aspect of this, right? I'm going to give you the news and I'm going to give you the mindset. How do you overcome horrible economic times ahead? You can't. So you just got to figure out how to make, how to make do with what you have. That, that's the reality. You have to make sure that if you're not where you want to be, you get to where you want to be. If you've been putting off, you know, something like me, I've been thinking about taking some certification classes. I really don't. They're probably going to stink, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to probably take some of those because it'll help me make me more marketable. But that's, that, that's, that's how you deal with the recession. At the end of the day, that's how you deal with the recession. And if you were paying attention because you were, and if you were somebody who listens to the show, you already knew inflation was going to be a problem. So that does it for that segment of this show. The next then the next one, the next thing we're going to talk about is the infinite gender spectrum, which is now for kids. <sighs> Man, so if you think <laughs> if you think the economic outlook is bleak, wait until we talk about Christo what Christopher Rufo's latest scoop was about the Portland school system. The scale of left-wing indoctrination in schooling has reached a new high. A high that I didn't even, you know, it, it's, just, it's just getting worse. The most radical political left-wingers today are those who accept things like queerness, a DEI policy, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and a broader progressive doctrine that is, in practice, indistinguishable from a dogmatic religion. It is at the center of why I feel political recalibration is so necessary. So let's talk a little bit about that just for a minute. They're in schooling, in, in all areas of politics, because it, it tends to be about things that matter, right? Because it, in, it invariably deals with something like power. In all school, but, but in schooling, we see what others would call the culture war, and I don't have an issue with that. I don't have an issue with that characterization. But what we see are people. How do I, sorry, how do I want to talk about this? <laughs> you see that neutrality is not enough. See, it's almost like, what's funny is this, this is such a new thing for me. It's not like, it's not readily accessible. See, my normal script when I talk about schooling is how privatizing it helps and privatizing it would fix a lot of the problems. That's the normal script I've run for many, many years. But it's clear over the last couple of years that privatization is not going to be enough. We've seen where the neutral stance of the, of, of the broad right wing, right, which I, which I characterize by talking about people who are against the left. So really just in that you oppose progressivism, I'm going to classify you as right because I think left and right are the most basic categorizations we can use because it's a binary. So there's a lot of people who oppose this progressive indoctrination of students. But a lot of those people have been, read, have been bred and raised, more, more so, on an ethic of neutrality. It's the false neutrality of liberalism that says if we can just remove, if we can remove the power incentive, we can fix things. So the public education system is about indoctrinating, indoctrinating children. So we just have to abolish the education system. But other than abolition, there's nothing else we can really do except pull our children out and separate from the system, which is in effect a neutral position. Because while good, while good hardworking people have been doing that 
for the last few generations, nefarious actors have wormed their way into positions of power within the government such that in order for your homeschooled child to get a high school diploma or the equivalent thereof, what has to happen? They have to learn about these modern cons, these modern pillars of faith for the progressive union. These pillars of queerness and these pillars of critical race pedagogy and these pillars of ridiculous assertions about gender, sex, biology, and the basic fundamental nature of humanity. And that's why you need to recalibrate your political clock, your, your, your political... That's why you need to recalibrate your political perceptions. And you have to understand that neutrality is actually just acquiescence. It sucks, but it's, the, but it's accurate. Because at some point, an event, and at, at a certain point, there's nowhere left to go. This stuff, is, this stuff is being taught in Catholic schools, private schools, home schools. Why? Because the people who hold the levers of power say so. Why? Because every single person who go, every, the only people who can be credentialed as teachers are people who graduate with education degrees where they're going to be learning this stuff. Now, there's different, there, now people get, to, people get to the finish line at different paces. And so we can understand that a place like Portland, which is highly, concent, which is highly concentrated left-wing activism, might be the place that shows the prop that that shows what is to come. And I think that's an example of what we have here. So what we're going to do is spend a little time just going through again, I don't even think I can show some of the I got to be careful here. Hang on. I I don't even think I can show some of these because it shows like naked bodies um of like and it of like prepubescent children. They're drawings, but like it it's it it makes me it's frankly it makes me a little uncomfortable to look at. But this is, this is the, and so this is, but it's important <laughs> to cover because we have to understand the age and the level at which these things are being taught. So he starts this tweet thread by saying the new curriculum translates the principles of academic queer theory into K through 12 pedagogy. Pedagogy just means how you're, how you're teaching children about ideas. The premise is simple. Privileged heterosexual white colonizers have created an oppressive gender binary in order to exploit racial and sexual minorities. So to do that, what I'm going to do here is read through some of these slides that he has, and you can also see them if you're watching the video, of course. So it says gender is colonized. Gender and sexual diversity have existed since people have been on Earth. The different words that people use to describe themselves have changed over time. White colonizers tried to erase many cultures, including what some might now call queer or trans people. But these cultures already had words for cultures. <laughs> these teachers can't even write. It says, but these cultures already had words for cultures, including and a ways of thinking about gender and sexuality. This lesson includes works that are the products of colonization. Other cultures around the world, especially black, indigenous and brown cultures and people view gender in different ways and do use different words which is a lie. The next one, gender is colonized. 
Colonization is taking over, controlling, and erasing the places, cultures, and identities of indigenous people who were already living there. When white European people colonized different places, they brought their own ideas about gender and sexuality. While when the United States was colonized by white settlers, their views around gender were forced upon the people already living there. Hundreds of years later, how we think and talk about gender are still (laughs) impacted by this shit. I'm laughing because I can't. Because if you don't laugh, you cry. But I'm laughing because... uh, it's just such a false claim. Any like it's, it's, it is, this is the proof in the pudding of the folly of gender of, of queer activism and just the ridiculous Marxist undertones that exist in the system. Most human societies, given that human beings are a dimorphic sexual species, that we have male and female, and we have men and women, and only men and women can procreate. Most human societies have conformed along what can be considered some pretty harsh, under these people's rhetoric, gender stereotypes. Why? Because Darwinian, because the state of nature before this level of advanced civ- technocratic civilization required it. None of this. What's before before this this stuff became political issues, I was in I was reading about it because I found I I find taboos fascinating. I was reading and learning and watching documentaries about a lot of this stuff before the activism came into play. So this one talks about assigned sex. Assigned sex is the labels like male and female and intersex that doctors and adults use to sort babies into gender categories. These labels are based on the middle body parts a.k.a. genitals, and their shapes and sizes. Uh, It goes on to talk about intersex. Even though some people say gender is different than assigned sex, oftentimes the word male is used to mean boys and men, and the word female is used to mean girls and women. That's because those words all mean the same thing. This makes things confusing because that is mushing assigned sex and gender together. Bodies don't have genders, only people do. And gender can't have, and any gender can have any body. It's a universe. This, this stuff is, this is what's being taught to children. So again, let's get rid of that because we're going to, yeah. So beginning in kindergarten, I'm just going to read through the tweet thread here. Teachers give anatomy lessons with graphic drawings of children's genitalia. The lesson refers not to men, but to a person with a penis or a person with a vulva, which is a man and a woman. Then it says in first and second grade, you're introduced to basic queer theory. And then it says teachers tell students they can change their name to match who they are. What is the effect of all of this stuff? You know, we've talked about it. I'll pro- I should I, I'll I should do a deeper dive as a solo episode here. I just wanted to talk a little bit about this before we move into our last segment because it was so jarring to me. And here we have a clear example. This is the trailblazer for how children are going to be taught in the future. And so I want to ask the listeners, the internet. I want to ask this simple question. Why are you so determined to confuse children? To confuse issues? That's all the, that's all the, the queer ideology does, by the way. They just make things more complicated than it needs to be. Now, that's, that's, a, nice way of, that's a nice way of saying what they're doing. But, but, in, but, but at a simple... If I wanted to be take up the most clinical answer, 
that that would be what it is. It makes things more complicated than they need to be. See, I talked about, you know, they, they, they go on and a lot of this, a lot of this bullshit about colonizers is just fitting things into an established frame because this isn't about knowledge. This is about indoctrination. That's why I said this has the appearance. What is the difference between this and a highly dogmatic religion? The answer is nothing. Now, religious people, I understand why that might offend you, but, it's, but, but the reason why that is the case is what is so fundamental, and it has to do with that myth of neutrality we started by talking about here. See, the myth of neutrality, the idea that we're not going to make moral claims, we're going to adopt a more relativistic frame, we're going to adopt a neutral position on whether there is a right and wrong, creates the conditions that leads to, let's see here, uh, that leads to children in fifth grade, so children who are 10 years old, being taught that gender is like outer space because there are many ways to be different genders as there are stars in the sky. Each person is different and that is cool. Or that gender is something adults came up with to sort people into groups. No. Gender, for all intents and purposes, is the French word for sex. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that English is kind of the smash up of multiple languages. It has a large Germanic influence as well as a large French influence due to different periods of, of, of conquering that occurred, you know, before the queer theorists care to talk about. So for a lot of our words in English, we have a, we have a, a Germanic derived word and a romantic or French derived word because the romance languages are French, Spanish and Portuguese because they all derive from Latin. That's where we get the term gender. Sex, for all intents and purposes, for, for most of human history, or at least in the common usage, which is important. We're, we'll make the distinction for jargon. But amongst the common usage, sex and gender were interchangeable. It's what, it's what, you, it's what you were born. You were either born a man or a woman. Even if you're trans, that's the case. You're still born a man or a woman. You're still born male or female. Excuse me. You're born male or female. You become a man. See, that's the, and those are the idiosyncrasies of language. So why do they want to make things more complicated? Because the purpose of public schooling has always been to make the son as different from the father as they can. So a lot of this has to do with causing division inside of families and making it very difficult for the younger generation to talk to the older generation. It's the same game they've been playing for the progressives have been playing for a hundred years. We have just now reached this stage. Why? Because good people, good people have were told to stay neutral and that time has passed. You don't get to stay neutral on these questions anymore. You don't have to make, you don't have to fight with everybody about this, by the way. I'm not telling you to go out and pick fights, pick, pick, uh, pick fights on Facebook. That's stupid. What you need to do is understand why this stuff is so dangerous. And the reason why it's dangerous is because it removes, when you remove the basic categorizations away from people, how, how can you understand the world? You can't. You, you, won't be, you won't be able to understand. The, the children who are being taught this will not understand the world as clearly as the children who are taught that there are men and women. We're going to discover this over the course of 10, 15 years. We're already starting to see some of it now, given the, given the rapid pace at which um, ideas can promulgate through a population. 
But anyway, let's move on to our last story. We're already, we've already hit an hour, and I want to make sure I cover this last one just because it's fun. How do we stop the monkeypox? That's our last segment today, folks. And uh, this, this is, is we're going to talk about a recent verbal exchange on, the Fos- on, on Kennedy, which is on Fox Business Network. I found it to be a very interesting cross-section of cultural taboos as it relates to current events. Unfortunately for the totally based Brad Palumbo, Ned Ryan didn't use bigotry for the root of his commentary. And so if you weren't aware of this story, and if you haven't seen this, um, where's my, uh, that's weird. Just getting my, there it is. Just finding the video here for you folks. Sorry about that. So we're going to watch this video. We're going to go through this video. I think I'm going to probably pause it here and there. Um, and then we will, well, we're going to analyze it. So if you didn't know the monkey pox is this thing that they're trying to make a big deal now, right? They're trying to say that this is probably going to be caused for another set of lockdowns or something like that. I don't know. I really haven't been paying attention to it because as you're going to find out, most people don't really have to worry about the monkey pox. If you look at any, if you look at the data. And so if you're not a health expert, there's really no reason for, if you're not a health expert or in one key demographic, there's really no reason for you to worry. So let's watch this. As for monkeypox, I, I think there's a pretty good rule in life. Uh, don't attend gay orgies. Uh, when you look at the New England Journal's report of the five All right, all right. So now we've seen where the now we've seen where this is gonna get nasty, right? Because he's because this guy Ned said the words gay orgies. Dude. Ned, come on, man. It's not what? about gay. How about no, not any orgies? Go look at Go look at the New England Journal's report that NBC News reported on on Friday in which of the 528 cases they reviewed, 95% were between sex between men. I think we actually have to have a serious conversation about where this is coming from. So, you know, he's going to let's have a serious conversation about where this is coming from. And then we get and then I'm done, Brad. You can talk instead of going crazy and declaring a national pandemic when 3000 people have it right now. It's insane. I don't know, man. You don't have to be gay to get monkeypox, and uh, you don't have to be bigoted when you talk about treating something that is so that easily spread. Marie. It's not I like Kennedy, yeah, it is. This, this is science, Kennedy. Ninety-five percent yeah. of the cases from the New right, England I, Journal. You know what? I'm going to let Brad respond. Reported. Okay, I'm going to let Brad respond because Brad, we have 372 doses. The United States in Denmark, where the the smallpox, monkeypox vaccine is manufactured, they were ready to go, but uh, because this has been an issue for more men in the gay community, it seems like it has been lower on the priority list. Brad. Yeah, look, Ned is right. He says that monkeypox right now is mostly affecting gay men. So even though he just called Brad a bigot, or Ned a bigot, excuse me, he's actually right. Okay, let's keep going. I want it. We're going to get it. We're going to work through this orgies in general is a good policy to not get sexually transmitted diseases 100%. and so we have to be really careful we saw with the aids crisis with the hiv crisis about how certain communities or certain gay people will be stigmatized yes. over something that lots of people do and we got to be careful about that and that kind of i will use the term bigoted language that makes it seem like the only people that get this are from one group of americans hey guess what gay men also have friends and family members and colleagues and this is not just transmitted through sexual activity it's transmitted through close contact so you don't fight diseases i'm glad brad brought up hiv aids you don't fight diseases by 
caricaturing the people who get them or who get them at one point in time. So, so he's a bigot. And a bigot means you're using stereotypes to, uh, what is the actual definition? It's one of those things, again, I should always have these pulled up, but let's go. Bigotry definition. So a bigot, bigotry is the obstinate or unreasonable attachment to a belief, opinion, or faction, in particular prejudice against a person or people on the basis of their membership to a particular group. So it's bigoted to say stay away from gay orgies. Now, one thing, one this was this this piece was interesting for a few reasons. One, I generally like Kennedy as far as Fox News hosts go. She's one of the better ones. Um, she usually does a pretty good show. Not as big of a fan of the guy Brad, and I don't know the blonde woman. No offense, I just don't know your name. And this other guy, Ned, I had never heard of until this episode, until this exchange. And he had a pretty and I frankly I liked the way that he carried himself through this exchange. And like I like I said in my in my lead in here, Brad, there there was no bigotry involved in this story, dude. Now maybe you don't pay attention to these things, and that's fair. I mean, you're a busy guy. All you do is media all day, every day, and so you might have missed <laughs> you might have missed these stories that that were going around the internet because gay orgy wasn't just a like I said. I'm, I want to hone in on the on the on the point here that the the the, the statement gay orgy was not a bigoted one. Now, again, we understand that for the left, hypocrisy is a tool, but ostensibly Brad calls himself Brad Palumbo and Kennedy, I think, were both, would both consider themselves as part of the right, quote unquote. So what I've got here, and I'm trying, I'm just waiting for it to load up. It's for whatever reason. That's annoying. Um, let's see here. Can I get the article? I've got an article here from earlier this year. Here we go. I've got this article from earlier this year because I remembered around May. I remembered a lot because May or April, May, June, that's really when we started hearing about these monk about monkeypox cases. And all the early reporting and one of the earliest stories that I remember was this one that I'm about to show you. And it's uh, and this this particular article is from the Scottish Daily Express because I like to have a varied news intake. But it says here Monkeypox outbreak linked to Canary Island and Spanish sex parties. So the global monkeypox outbreak has been linked to gay pride parties in the Canary Islands, as well as raves in Madrid and Berlin, where sexual activity took place, according to health experts. Dr. David Hyman, who, who formerly headed the World Health Organization's Emergencies Department, believes the spread of disease through sexual transmission can be traced to key spreader events. Quote, we know monkeypox can spread where there is close contact with the lesions of someone who is infected, and it looks like sexual contact has now amplified that transmission. It comes after Germany has four confirmed cases linked to exposure at, quote, party events where sexual activity took place in Spain's Canary Island and in Berlin, according to a government report. Madrid's senior health official also said Monday that the Spanish capital had 30 confirmed cases. Enrique Ruiz Escudero confirmed it is investigating possible links between a recent gay pride event in the Canary Islands, which drew 80,000 people, as well as cases at a Madrid sauna. Now, that was May, you might say, LB. What about most, what, what can you get me that's more recent? Well, we have this CNBC article right here, published July 27th. I think not too far. I don't even remember. Let's see here. When was this whole, uh, when was this article created? 
This whole video shindig was released. Let's see. You know, he made sure to properly monetize it July 27th, which means, and I get it. I get it. It's tough to keep up on the news cycle, Brad. But if you looked at this CNBC article, men who have sex with men are at the highest risk of infection right now from the monkeypox, according to the World Health Organization. About 99% of cases are among men, and at least 95% of those patients are men who have sex with other men, according to a WHO official, Rosamund Lewis, who te- and then goes on to say that men who have sex with men should consider limiting their sexual partners, and, and they called on media, public health authorities, and government to fight stigma and discrimination, which he said can only fuel the outbreak. This Part of the, the reason for all of this, we might say, a lot of, or the, lot of, the reason for a lot of this, I would say, has to do with what I've talked about before at the egalitarian delusion. And what the egalitarian delusion forces its adherents to do is not notice difference. And when you don't notice difference, you, you get really, really upset when other people do. So anybody who's objectively looking at this story is saying like, oh, if the, if the transmission vector is highest amongst a certain demographic of population, shouldn't that population be made aware of it? And shouldn't that population have, uh, and, and shouldn't that, and shouldn't that population have take on a little more responsibility for themselves? And of course, I think in practice, that's actually what most people are doing in a situation like this. It's just the performative elements on a cable news show that we ha- that we get to analyze you and you and me here. So let's talk about those cases that this guy that they were talking about. So they say over 99% of the cases of men are men who have monkeypox. So as a man, you might want to worry about it. But 95% of those are gay men. So I did a quick Goog, right? I did a quick Google where I did and I looked and I searched confirm monkeypox cases worldwide. And when I searched that, it said 17,492 confirm cases of monkeypox exist. That's what the CDD, CDC says across the world. Okay, Google, CDC, I'm using all the best reputable sources for, the main, for a mainstream for a mainstream audience. Seventeen thousand four hundred ninety-two people. So that means of the seventeen thousand four hundred ninety-two, one hundred seventy-five of those are women. So when they say women can get, women can get, you know, it's not just men who get monkeypox. Well, that's yeah, but like. More of them, way, 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 way more of them. In fact, more, more women are temperamentally similar to other men using the big, big five analysis of stuff than women who have monkeypox. I don't know. That, that, was, that, was a weird, that was a weird ham-handed analogy. Of that same, demo, of that same makeup, 17,492, 874 of those cases are from straight men, allegedly. In total, that 17,000 nationwide represents 0.002% of the world population. The World Health Organization is explicitly recommending that... <laughs> Here's the funny... Like, like, in the clip, right? They go, they make... How about... How about... It's not just gay orgies. How about just any orgy? Okay. Most straight people don't go to orgies. It's a very, very small subsection, but a larger percentage of people are completely. And it's not. And, and gay orgy is just a meme, right? This is this was the point I wanted to hone in on. Is that it's actually not a big statement because some of the early earliest stories about monkeypox 
we're dealing with like sex parties and other parts of gay sex parties. What's the difference between that and an orgy? Oh, it's just a matter of connotation. But see, this is one of the reasons why I don't like the cable news format is because it's designed to create these sorts of conflict, right? When you're on a panel like this, you're looking for an excuse to jump down somebody else's throat. There was no thing of like, hey, Ned, do you think like you could have been you could have been calm about that? You could be like, like, you know, you also think that people should stay away from regular orgies, too. And the guy Ned probably would have been like, oh, yeah, of course, as he even said it later in that clip. There are people who notice difference and then there are people who try not to. And basically what we saw here was just was just the chest pounding of a certain virtue ethic that I don't understand. Oh, why? Because of the AIDS, the, the AIDS crisis? So, because you're right. Society hasn't progressed at all since that point. No, no, no. In fact, now we just deal with a country where gays are a protected class. So we can't even point out when perhaps more gay men are at are risk for a certain disease than others. Okay. This was the interesting. And then I kind of like that. Frankly, just to wrap up, I, I have some interesting stuff here about, um, about like HIV. Cause you know, HIV and AIDS is said to be, it was said to be uh, primarily a gay problem. And then like, no, it's straight people can be affected by it too. But according, but at least right now, 23% of all HIV diagnoses in the U S are from heterosexual, uh, heterosexual people. So it's still 80% uh, problem within the gay community. And even if monkeypox reaches that same, we, we have to notice the difference. If we don't start noticing what's right and wrong, if we don't, if we don't take, if we don't recalibrate our politics to stop this neutral approach, we're eventually going to be overcome as and by we, I'm just, I mean, just normal everyday people who want to live a good life, gay or straight. Anyway, that's the show for today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you liked all the new things. Make sure you go follow me on social media at the LB Muniz. If you like what you heard today, go to inawake.com to subscribe for future updates. My name is L.B. Muniz, and I am not one with the woke.